Uh, if you have a Bible or your device is, has a Bible on it, please turn or access Ephesians chapter 4. And as you get there, would you please stand um, to honor the reading of God's Word? We're in Ephesians 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this 2,000 years ago to the church at Ephesus. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, let's pray and let's see what God has for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Um, We thank you for this series, uh, an opportunity to review our core values, what this church is all about and what we desire to be and how we desire to pursue church life. Lord, I pray this morning that you would remind us of truths we already know. Um, Perhaps um, there are some in this room who have never heard um, talk of ministry and of service in this light, so I I pray that you'd open their eyes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to... um, to hear these words, uh, but then to put them into practice, as Joe prayed earlier, that we would not merely be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us as we come here to hear from you. That you would um, remove distractions from our minds, that you would help us to hear from your Holy Spirit who illuminates um, this ancient book for us in these modern times. So God, please do your work. Uh, We need you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, How many of you have been to Sequoia National Park before at any time? Okay, a good chunk of you. How many of you have been to those giant Sequoia groves? Grants Grove, you've seen the General Sherman tree. You you know what I'm talking about, those massive trees. Um, I, I was reading and studying this week. Uh, for the sermon and came across a, a helpful illustration uh, that I think I had known about. Uh, so if, you, if you're one of those people that stops and reads the signs in the uh, National Park or the National Forest and it explains the science of what's going on, those are, those are uh, mainly helpful. Um, but I don't think I've ever paid this much attention to it. And so that's why I'm going to read this and not make it up because I want to make sure I get this straight. But, but I've stood there. In fact, uh, we took the high schoolers two summers ago uh, at Wildwood, we, we left Hume Lake Christian Camps and went off to um, a, a clearing that had been logged in the late 19th century. And there's these massive stumps. In fact, they call it Stump Meadow. And there are these stumps of these old giant sequoias that they, they chopped down. And they're, they're all gone. <laughs> and it's a clearing because all the trees were logged. But they kept one tree that we did a little hike to. Um, it's called the Bool Tree. And it is the sixth largest tree in the world. 
Um, I, I don't remember how many of us there were, 20 or 30 of us, and we tried to hold hands and go all the way around the tree. Those are the, that's the kind of size we're talking about. Uh, but these trees are, are, are not necessarily, they don't necessarily get you with their height, but they're just, they're girth. <laughs> they're, they're just big, big trees. And, and as we, we, we walked around it, just kind of in awe of these uh, majestic soaring branches, and these are the giant sequoias. And I'd never really understood this, but let me read this to you. California's giant sequoias have roots just barely below the surface of the ground. That seems impossible. If the roots don't grow deep into the earth, it seems that they would blow over in a strong wind. But not sequoias. They grow only in groves, and their roots intertwine under the earth's surface. So, when the strong winds come, they hold one another up. And, and to think that something that massive, that gigantic, uh, my assumption would be that the roots would go really, really deep. But in fact, the way that our God has made those trees to work is to be dependent upon one another as their roots intertwine um, shallow under the surface. And, and there's undoubtedly a, a lesson in there for us. And it might be a little schmaltzy, um, but the fact that those trees need each other to stand during the difficult times um, is an apt description of the church. And in fact, it's an apt description of our church, of any local church. We need one another. We have been going through the core values of our church in this series, and we are on the final of the four, and that's ministry. Ministry. And so what does the giant sequoia have to do with ministry? Well, ministry is kind of going to tie uh, the bow on the, the series. Ron will do some more next week to wrap it up. But really what we're talking about in ministry is growing out of the first three, which were outreach, community, and spiritual growth. Outreach, community, spiritual growth, and now ministry. These make up our core values. The Oxford American Dictionary uh, defines this sense of core as the central or most important part of anything. The central or most important part of anything. So a lot of times we'll talk about um, that hurt to the core or that went to the very core of who I am. Um, what we're talking about is the central part, the most important thing. Um, and what that means when we talk about core values is what we're doing is we're, we're, not, we're not staying on the surface as we're drilling deep into the heart of what it means to be God's church. It's the center, the core of God's call on our lives. And so these four aren't optional. Um, and Pastor Ron has talked about the, they are not independent, they're interdependent. Uh, we can't talk about ministry without talking about spiritual growth. We can't talk about community without talking about outreach. We can't talk about outreach without talking about ministry. They're, they're inseparable, uh, but they're, they're somewhat distinct so that we can think about them in that way. Uh, our understanding of what it means to be God's church and build God's church, which is our theme for the year, is vitally connected to these core values. If they're taken away, if these core values are ignored, then our vision and mission here at Village Bible Church, that of making disciples, is in critical condition. And so often, uh, we run into the enemy of assuming. Um, we begin to be familiar with something and we assume. And sometimes we don't pay attention to what's going on. So as we focus today on ministry, um, I want to, to just be careful um, that we come to it 
with open minds, ready to hear what God has to say to us. Uh, some may be tempted this morning to say, okay, I like outreach, community is fun because it usually involves food, and uh, spiritual growth is great because I like reading, uh, but ministry, uh, I'm not going to touch that with a 20-foot pole because other people are involved, <laughs> okay? Um, and that somehow, it sometimes is, is how we feel, is it not? Um, because people are messy. Um, you and I are messy. Uh, relationships cost. They take work. But that is an absurd thing to think when we're talking about what is core to being a Christian church. Because ministry is at the core of the church. Jesus calls us to ministry. To ignore ministry makes no sense in Christian logic. And so we are in Ephesians chapter 4 to take a look at one passage that talks about ministry. Um, there are multiple. Uh, there's one even up here on our wall. I don't know if you've been noticing these as we've been going along, but Crystal Merrick has been putting these beautiful boards. Whoa, I'm tripping over speakers. Uh, over, over here on the wall uh, each time that we've been preaching on them. So uh, thank you, Crystal, for that. This one, beautifully done, is ministry. I just want to make sure you didn't think I did it. So boy, none of you thought that. I um, want to thank Crystal for that. Highlighting a verse from First Peter um, that really helps us to think about ministry. But let's get back to Ephesians 4 as we talk about ministry, as we talk about what it means to be vitally connected like the roots of a giant sequoia. Uh, verses 11 through 16 that we read just a few minutes ago are actually one long sentence in Paul's Greek. Um, uh, Paul did a lot of run-on sentences, um, so be careful, uh, those of you students that are learning English. English is a different language than Greek. You can't do this. It, it doesn't work too well for your teachers. But Paul is, is so excited in multiple places in Ephesians that he just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. Um, in fact, you'll see in your English translation that the, the translators have actually put periods in there just because people can't breathe when they're trying to read sentences this long. So they kind of put some stops in there. But it's helpful to know that the way that Paul was writing, he just couldn't stop. He just kept going um, and kept going and kept going and elaborating upon the point of ministry. And, and at this point in the letter, again, this is easy for us to think of Ephesians as a book. It's, it's a letter. Um, the chapters and the verses were not in there until a few hundred years ago. Um, it was just like a letter that you may have received in the mail. Um, the church at Ephesus would have opened the letter. They would have broken the seal and they would have read this letter. And at this point in the letter, um, we've kind of hit the turn. Uh, in the first three chapters, as we've delineated them, the first three chapters, Paul is talking about church doctrine, um, talking about what we believe, talking about things um, that have occurred in the life of Christ, in the life of the church. But in chapter 4, there's a noticeable turn to plug this into our life. How does this look? How does this work itself out in life? Um, how do we walk in a manner worthy so the first three chapters, you can think of this, are like the is. This is what is. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the ought. And so if chapters 1, 2, and 3 are this is what is true, then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are then this is what we ought to do, or this is how we ought to live. Which is why verses 11 through 16 are so important for our understanding of ministry. And Paul builds that ministry on, um, you can look back up at, at verse 4 through 6. 
there, the word that continues to repeat itself is one. One, one, one. Uh, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so the unity of the church is emphasized as the foundation. And building on that foundation um, is verses 11 through 16. So if you have notes or you're taking notes, the ones that are provided in your worship folder, number one, it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Um, and that's important, even though it might be a kind of duh moment, but it's good to be reminded um, of it all starting with Jesus because our souls are bent in on themselves. We like us. We like me. We like I. And we tend to see things from our perspective, from our point of view. And it's helpful to remember that ministry starts with Jesus. So before we get into what ministry or what program, what way can I help, we want to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul put this sentence together in the Greek to say, um, to emphasize Jesus. He even said, you could, you could uh, translate it, and Christ himself gave. He's in there in verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. It starts with Jesus. These, this list of leaders in the church, and we're not going to really define those leaders. For today's purposes, we'll just sum it up. These are the leaders of the church. Um, they're, they're there not because they're, they're charismatic leaders or because they're persuasive. They're there because Jesus gave them to the church. And so you can go through various portions of the scripture maybe to, to find your spiritual gift or to figure out what your spiritual gifting is. And there are various places in the scripture, one of them being 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, to look for your gift. But in this passage, the gifts are people. So look, look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And that may seem um, fairly normal, but you look in verse 7, and we have grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verses 8 through 10 talk about the gifts that God has given. And in this instance, we need to remember this, that Jesus is the one who has given gifts to his church. He has given even people gifts to the church. And that in itself is amazing. What a, what a bad plan. <laughs> okay? Jesus giving people to other people. Okay? If, we, if we evaluated that, we probably wouldn't have come up on that, with that on our own. But in the amazing providence of God, Jesus gives people as gifts to the church. So we should be amazed that God freely chose to give us these gifts. And this is, in fact, who God is. He cannot be understood apart from his giving. Just think of the Bible story. He gave Adam and Eve a garden. Even after they sinned, he gave them a promise of a coming conqueror. He gave them clothing to cover their nakedness. He gave Abraham and Sarah a son, even though that was physically impossible. He gave the Israelites manna when they needed food. He gave them the law at Mount Sinai. God then gave their enemies into their hands as we just studied in the book of Joshua over the past several months. He gave the people priests and prophets and kings to help lead them and guide them. He gave his people second and third and fourth and thousandths of chances. God gave his only son, John 3.16. Jesus gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. 
God gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. God gives eternal life. God gives us everything to enjoy. So that it's obvious ministry is not about you. It's not primarily about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's the one who is running this whole operation. And yet, somehow, we're included in that operation. In the way that the church functions. And so this is the nitty gritty. How, how is the air conditioning on? How are the lights on? How are the chairs set up? How all of these maybe mundane things we think about, maybe the coffee that's about to fuel your second hour, right? how did I get there? Well, well people did that as, as a gift to you. And so Jesus gives, and so we give. Ministry becomes our following of Jesus' example. He gave, and so we give. Point number two, God gives gifted leaders. God gives gifted leaders. And that's there in that same verse, verse 11. And we have the leaders enumerated in five different titles. This is not an exhaustive list. You'll notice elders and deacons and deaconesses are not included there. But it's, it's, the point is that the way that the church was founded, the way that the church was started, was by people that God had given to the church. And they are gifted in different areas. And so um, it's important to see what these gifts, these people gifts to the church are called to do. Because certain versions of the Bible have been translated in ways um, that have distorted the vision of ministry that God has for the church. So look at verse 12. Jesus has given the church these people in verse 11. And what are they to do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In the King James and in some other translations, um, the way that the, the syntax was put together made it seem like Jesus gave these leaders to the church to equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. And what that began to do is it began to elevate um, the ministers, the leaders, the teachers of the church to the role where they do the ministry. And so inevitably, people began to look to the ministers as the one who do ministry. You do ministry and I'll show up. It's amazing what a comma can do. <laughs> it's amazing what a, a word translated differently can do. Um, and, and this is what the Reformation of the 16th century bought back for the church. And that's the concept of the priesthood of all believers. We all have access to God. Uh, we don't need um, a, a priest to give us or grant us some kind of special access to God, the curtain's been torn in two. Jesus is now available to us. As the author of Hebrews said, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so what are leaders supposed to do? Well, these leaders, these gifts to the church, are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we have this vocabulary um, in American Christianity that, that we kind of need to refine or change or get rid of, and that is um, the ministry. Ah, right? You've been called to the ministry. Right? It's, it becomes this, this great, highly exalted thing, and then we begin to use ministry in a way that is only for those that we call full-time ministers. Listen, folks, <laughs> This is point number three. All Christians are in the ministry. All Christians are in the ministry. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a church that has this on their worship folder, but I was reading this week that um, John Stott, who uh, was a very influential British pastor, came over to America, got his bulletin at a church, and you know, you look down, in fact, you can look at, at our bulletin on the back, it says pastor, it says Ron Johnson, senior pastor, me, associate pastor, I don't know how many, it goes, it goes down through a list of people. Um, and John Stott got the, got the bulletin, and it had, you know, the, the senior pastor and the associate, and it got to the bottom, and it said, all members are ministers. So it included them in this list. Um, so as not to have this, this bifurcation, this, here are the leaders of the church, and here's people. <laughs> or the laity and the clergy, and there was this dividing line between them. No, what the, the leaders of the church are called to do is to equip the saints, the holy ones, for the work of ministry, so that all Christians are in the ministry. Um, heaven knows, if ministry were dependent on me and Pastor Ron, things would go very bad very quickly. Very bad. You that know us know that. Um, this is why ministry is our thing. We all do ministry, because we are all ministers. And by the way, the other thing about the vocabulary is that ministry has taken on this kind of exalted language. It just means to serve, folks. It's, it's, it comes from the word where we get deacon, to serve, to minister, to wait tables. Um, that, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about ministry. We're talking about service. That's what we're talking about. Serving other people. And so you and I are called to full-time ministry. It just so happens that I've got a title in front of it and I work here at the church and get paid by the church. But all of us are in full-time ministry. Here's why that's so key. Think about, look around the room right now. Look at all the people in this room. Look at the people you know have jobs. They work other places. They're involved in hobbies. They're involved in sports leagues. They're involved in, in different things. Look at, look, at, look at how many people that touches just in this room. We're not a big church, but think of all the people you work with that nobody else in this church knows. How in the world are we supposed to reach the world for Christ if the pastors are the only ones doing the ministry? We all have to do the work of the ministry. We all have to do it. And we all get to do the work of the ministry. This is important because the consistent, persistent language of the New Testament is that Christians are servants. That is one of the primary titles for a Christian is servant. Or it could be translated sometimes slave. And this is where Paul was revolutionary in the world that he lived in. Paul was no slouch. He had had incredible training. He was an intellectual genius. That's why when you, when you ladies who are studying through Romans, um, this, you're just, this man is just amazing. The sentences that he puts together and the arguments that he's making. He, he's just brilliant. And yet, he did this in a world that he knew would think this is just foolish. Because the Greco-Roman approach to life was that service is for slaves. We don't do that because we're Greeks. We're Romans. Service is for menial tasks, for, for day laborers, for, for immigrants, for people we've conquered. We don't, we don't do service. That's undignified. And yet, Paul's favorite title for Jesus was Lord. And, and we're too used to that phrase. Lord means master. And a master has slaves. And Paul's favorite term for himself was servant or slave. So, so Paul's fundamental understanding of his relationship to Jesus is that he's the master, he's the Lord, I'm the servant and the slave. So then ministry is inevitable because of who we are. We're slaves to a good master. We're servants 
to the Lord. And so we minister because that is a part of who we are. Seven of the New Testament letters begin by identifying the author explicitly as a servant or slave of Jesus, including the two written by his brothers, which I don't know about. I've got brothers. They're younger than me, but I would never in my life call myself a slave of my brother. I don't know if you have siblings. I don't know. Maybe, maybe your family's weird and you do that, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. This is my little brother, right? Nuggy, right? I don't do that. I'm not a slave of my brother. And I can't imagine younger brothers saying about that they're older brothers. And yet Jude and James, in their letters in the New Testament, say that they are slaves of Jesus Christ. Just imagine, <laughs> just imagine that. Um, Paul constantly showed himself to be a servant. And so we, we must understand ourselves to be ministers, but we also must show ourselves to be ministers. We have to show ourselves to be servants. We can't just talk about it. Right? Um, we've got to, we've got to image it. We've got to imitate the Jesus who sets up the ultimate category of servant. In Luke 22, if you could go there real quick, Luke 22, Jesus in this passage models for us what it looks like to be a minister or a servant. And remember who we're talking about. The king of the universe, the creator of the hands that nailed him to the cross, the creator of the wood, the tree that they made the cross from, this master of the universe humbled himself, became a man, and told his disciples this in Luke twenty two, twenty four through twenty seven. Luke twenty two, twenty four through twenty seven. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. And the disciples were like, ah, man, that was looking good for us for a second. Rather, let the greatest among you, I can just see them looking at Peter, become as the youngest, who now is crestfallen. And the leader, as one who, what's that next word? Serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But... Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. The only person who didn't necessarily need to do it is the one modeling it to his disciples, showing us what it means to be in ministry, that we serve one another. In the, uh, in the upper room, at the Last Supper, Jesus takes off his outer garment, kneels down, and does the menial task that no Jew in their right mind would do to another Jew. And that's take their stinky, dirty, filthy feet and wash them with his own hands. And then Jesus tells his disciples to go and do likewise, which doesn't mean that we've been missing it by not having foot washing every Sunday. What it, what it means is that he's setting an example for what service looks like. Service is not on my terms. What do I like doing only? Now, praise the Lord, he has actually gifted us for that to work out. But if, if ministry only depends on what I like doing, then we're going to have a lot of holes. We're going to have a lot of things left undone. But if ministry or service looks like, how can I get as low as I can to help those around me? Then we've got a whole different paradigm. We've got a whole different thing going on. If we're foot washers, if we're in ministry in that sense, 
then who knows what could happen. Number four, minister for mutual maturity. Go back to Ephesians chapter four. Minister for mutual maturity. What are we doing? What are we doing when we serve? Why are we serving? What's the purpose? What's the the goal? Well, verse 12 The saints are equipped to do the work of ministry. What's that for? That's for building up the body of Christ. And verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, or or a full-grown man, or to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're aiming at maturity. We're aiming at maturity. So, So in fact, those who know how to serve best are those who are on the road to maturity. Those who can't be served or can't get themselves to serve do not understand what it means to be a mature Christian. Have you ever said to someone who you perceive as acting immaturely, grow up. Come on, grow up. Act your age. Or, you know, perhaps maybe that's been said to you. <laughs> well, what, what are you communicating? Uh, you're probably communicating something like, ugh, right? I wish that person would act more like Somebody mature, like me. <laughs> that's, that's what they should be doing. Oftentimes, that's, that's, our, that's our motive there. Grow up, like I have. Or, grow up. Hey, what's wrong with you? Now, did you ever think that perhaps that person is thinking, I don't know how. I don't know how. This is, this is how things go at my house. This is how things go in my family. This is how... I've been raised. This is how I, I feel. And I don't know how to break this cycle. Perhaps, perhaps the question is more, can I help you grow up? Now, probably not in those, those words, right? That's probably not going to help. Can I help you grow up? But what if that was the, the, the way that we took that? Well, that person's really immature. I probably was once too. How did I get to be this mature? Probably because other people helped me. Hmm. I wonder how they're going to get mature. Someone else helps them. Okay, someone else, go help them. No, no, what, what's, what's going on there is we're, we're looking for maturity and we're looking to help each other to maturity. So that's why I say minister for mutual maturity. It does no good for three people in the congregation to sprout like crazy and everybody else to be stunted. That does no good. Because in that metaphor, all these tall trees are now providing too much shade for these little ones that can't grow. What, we, what we're actually looking for is we're actually looking for mutual maturity, together maturing. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Um, what we need to remember is that maturity does not say, wow, I'm so mature. Maturity is actually very self-effacing. Maturity begins to recognize more ways that you can grow. Right? I mean, the more you're aware of your own heart and your own deficiencies, the more you're made aware of your need for help. And so we need to look out for our own maturity and that of others. So verse 13 is the positive point there. Okay, it's the positive one. Um, You can notice the significant uses of the word we in verses 13, 14, and 15. This is together. And Joshua did that um, on, I think it was the last song we sang. Um, and I will run the race. And did you notice that we changed it? We will run the race together. That's a whole different picture, isn't it? Um, some of you have run, have run races, long races. Um, 
and uh, you've done it together. And that means some of you have gone much slower than some of the others, but you did it together. You crossed the line together. That's kind of the picture here, to we all attain. Um, and so this is where the picture of the body, the metaphor of the body that Paul uses so often in the New Testament comes into play. Because think about that picture. I mean, this might be stretching the metaphor, but think about the picture of you being a part of the body. Okay, you're, you're just one part. You're not, in fact, you're probably a small part. What happens if the leg just goes crazy while the rest of the body is stunted? That's not good. That's not really helpful at all, right? Or let's just, let's just say this for those of us that like reading and information and trivia. What happens if your head gets super big? Right? Then you start walking like a one-year-old, right? You start, this thing's starting to take you everywhere and that's not good for the body. That's not helpful for growth together. And so what we want to see is we want to see proportional growth. Okay? Um, if, if we saw disproportionate growth in one of our, uh, our children, we would take them to the doctor. That's a problem. Um, legs and arms and hands and fingers and ears and noses and heads, they're supposed to kind of go mostly proportional. <laughs> Okay, together. And that's what we're aiming for. Um, John Calvin said this, that man is mistaken who desires his own separate spiritual growth. For what would it profit a leg or an arm if it grew to an enormous size? It would do no good. It would do no good. And so we're not growing separately. We're growing together. That's why this plays into spiritual growth and community and outreach. These are all vitally connected. You cannot grow spiritually if you're only growing by yourself. What you become then is an er- usually an arrogant, self-righteous person who thinks they're all that, which is actually not mature. So what we're looking for is we're looking for growing together. And so ministry must be done for the purpose of proportional growth. There's also a negative side um, that Paul points out in verse 14 of maturity. Um, so maturity is good because you're growing and you're in verse 13, measure the stature of the fullness. Your stature is growing. But verse 14 is the negative side. We don't want to be little children. We want to grow up. Right? So uh, I listened to a pastor who used this very well. Um, when when uh, our children begin to take their first steps, uh, and nowadays... There's iPads and iPhones out and there's video cameras, right? And we're posting it and they take three steps and then they fall flat in their face and we just erupt. Yeah! Three steps, call grandma, right? Now, it's not funny if a 24-year-old does that, right? I mean, it's just not, get up. What are you, what are you doing? Why are you falling on, on your face? Because there's, there's a pace they should have grown toward. And so we don't want to stay children. We don't want to stay little babies. Verse 14. So it may no longer be children. What are children like? Well, they're they're tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Um, This is the fad culture, right? So um, I see this in my little girls, right? The next princess thing that comes out is the best thing ever until the next princess thing comes out, which is now the best thing ever until then, right? (laughs) And, And just kind of thrown around. Their opinions change like over, I wasn't say overnight, over like three seconds, okay? Um, the, these things change. And, and we see that even in our own lives when we're acting immaturely is that we can be so easily moved to different opinions 
or different thoughts. So what happens when we grow up is we're no longer children. We're not, we're not tossed around. We're not carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We've, we've grown up so that that will not affect us in the same way it would affect a child. So we're looking for, um, for growth in that respect. Uh, so if you're a Christian, uh, if you've lost your life in order to find it in Jesus, then God is calling you to a life of ministry, a life of service. So some of us may feel tugs or burdens towards particular areas of service. Right? So I'm not tugged to help lead worship because that would just not be good. And I mean, that's not how God's gifted me. It would not be helpful. Okay. And so there, there are times when we're, when we're burdened or we're gifted, we're pointed in directions of certain ministries or programs. Um, but we're not just limited to that. Because right? if we only did what we want to do, again, we're in trouble. We have problems. Um, we're always, at all times, at all places, called to the work of ministry. And not just in this building or on this campus. Village Bible Church gathers on Sunday and scatters the rest of the week. We don't stop representing Jesus or stop representing Village Bible Church when we go to work. Ministry happens all over. But it happens in a particular special way when we come together. So we're to work, we're to labor, we're to spend ourselves for the building up of Christ's body. The most logical place to do that is in a local church. That's where the majority of ministry ought to take place. Now, that's not to say that we can't do parachurch organizations or if you're involved in a nonprofit. Um, but at, at ignoring the local church uh, ignores the place where the growth is supposed to happen, where the, the picture of the body occurs. Okay, and the number five, um, minister for truth and minister in love. Minister for truth, minister in love. Uh, we've all heard verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Um, and this is in uh, distinction to the verse before about being children thrown about. No, rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, right? So the, there's a picture of the head, right? I mean, here's my head, okay? The picture is of the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. And, and the, the picture is easy to see. If, if, if Christ is the head, then the rest of the body gets its functionality from the head, which does not release us from any responsibility, though. Don't become like, we're not a robot, we're a body. <laughs> okay? And the body needs to function in the proper way. And, and the way we do that is for truth and in love. And this is where balance must take place. Okay, so some of you are truthers. <laughs> okay? Truth, right? Ah, it was wrong. Heresy, right? Um, and then others of us are, are, are on the love side and we just, we, we love people so much and that's, and that's so good. Oh, I just want to hear about that. And, and so those are both great things. Those are both good to have truth and love, but they've got to be held in balance, right? They, they must be. So speaking the truth in love. Um, John Stott also said this, Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. Thank God for apologetics. Okay? Um, but sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight, and that's dangerous. 
Because we're, we're not here to win arguments, just to win arguments. We're here to win arguments to point people to Jesus. <laughs> um, he also said this, Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. So love does not mean I let my daughters do whatever they want. If they're running to the middle of a busy street, I don't say, oh, well, I don't want to yell at her. Oh, I'll scream at the top of my lungs and go yell and yank her arm because the truth is there are vehicles that are flying down that street. And so truth is vitally important. Love looks different ways at different times. And love also helps us know how much of the truth to speak at certain times. Sometimes people can only take so much. And so we need to be careful in how we approach people. But in ministry, we have to keep those um, both in mind. So some of us approach ministry as this has to be done right, it has to be done now, it has to be done perfectly, it has to be... And those are good goals. Let's do things well. Let's do things with quality. Let's do things um, with just a, a, a pursuit of, of having things go run smoothly. Um, however, we, we must remember that there's people involved here. And so oftentimes when we, when, we, when we default on truth only, we forget there's people involved. And so we need, we got to love. We've got to love and speak the truth in love. If the truth is spoken without love, oftentimes it is spoken to pierce and to hurt. And then we can just fall back on, well, it's the truth. Okay, that, 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 that's very, that's, it, that's true. Was it done in love? So you, you see how Jesus deals with people. He speaks the truth. Go and sin no more. Okay, but what, what did he just do? He just rescued this woman from these hypocrites. But he does not leave her and just say, hey, don't worry about it. They were, they were hypocrites. He said, no, where did, where did your accusers go? You go and sin no more. There's truth and love in the balance. Did you ever notice that 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, uh, is sandwiched between two chapters that are all about ministry? <laughs> How to deal with one another, tongues, prophecy, order of service, decently and in order. All these things are... Love is sandwiched right in the middle. Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't like writing his letter and then got up and then came back and wanted to write about love. He knew that love needed to be included in talk about ministry. Because sometimes we get, we get driven after projects and we're pursuing excellence without remembering people. Well, there, there's so many other places we could go um, with ministry. But what we see is that ministry is essential for the functioning of a local church which doesn't mean we all have to do everything. In fact, I commend this congregation. We have, we have incredibly high rates of help in various ministries. I read articles and see pleas from pastors for people to serve. We have an amazing depth of maturity in how many people minister in so many different ways in this church. And I thank you. Um, I thank you um, for uh, even those of you that minister to my children and help in that way. Um, we, we desperately need um, ministers in various areas. Think about what it takes to make this happen on Sunday. Just think about what, that's just simply what happens to make Sunday morning worship come together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing when we see ministry at work. But we have not arrived. <laughs> we are not the model church. We have much to work on. And we need to do this together um, in a way that we help one another 
We buoy one another. We grow together. So what does ministry look like in my life? My answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Specifics. But I do know what a minister looks like. Um, I may not know the specific ministry, but I do know what a minister looks like. Um, Perhaps it looks like Barnabas in the book of Acts, selling his land and giving the proceeds to the church to help the needy. Perhaps it looks like Tabitha, who was known in the community for her good works and acts of charity. She made clothes for people that were in need. Maybe you'll be a right-hand man, a Timothy. Maybe you'll be an end of the letter of Romans type of behind-the-scenes helper. You know that that chapter that nobody reads because it's just a bunch of names? Um, Those people were so vitally important to ministry that Paul included them in the letter. He, He loved them that much. He was dependent upon them so much. Maybe you'll dedicate yourself to taking care of the church property or visiting the sick or starting a new ministry or maybe rescuing an old one. Maybe you'll be the Sunday school teacher or personal mentor who quietly but consistently invests in the lives of younger people for years and years and years, producing generations of exponential fruit. Whatever form it takes, it's not merely doing service projects, okay? So <laughs> this didn't coincide with the fact that we're having a work day coming up, and if you don't show up at the work day, you don't... No. Come to the work day, please. We'd love to have you. And let's minister side by side and, and, and take care of our, our campus But being a servant is most important. Being a minister. Look at the phases of life across this room. Just think about the various ways you were able to minister at different times in your life. And so we we, we are servants. If it's only about doing service, there will be times where we're not doing enough and we got to do more. Or, oh, I can't do much because I live further away or because I've got too much school. No, the, the question is, when we're doing ministry, are you a minister? Are you a servant? Are you looking to the interests of others? Are you counting others more significant than yourselves? As Jesus told us in Philippians 2. So, as we think about ministry, and we kind of bring it down from its elevated status, and we just think, this is how we serve one another. Ministry is as as informal as it can get, and there are definitely very formal parts of ministry. But all across that spectrum, the question is whether or not you and I are going to be ministers as we do ministry. So let's be like a grove of giant sequoias. Maybe not so giant sequoias. Let's be a grove that grows together. That as we grow up, um, that we grow closer together this way as well. That our, our roots intertwine, which means when Fred and Cinder Tribble go to Endicott, it hurts because they're uprooted. But what that means is that other people step in there in there, and now the roots begin to intertwine again and the trees grow higher and higher. Um, let's grow enabled by God's Spirit to live lives of, as the, the title of the sermon says, significant service. Because service um, to a king is always significant service. Um, C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal. Um, what you are involved with are people that will live forever. <laughs> You're involved in eternal destinies. That's very significant service. Let's embody outreach and community and spiritual growth and ministry by the way we worship, study, disciple, work. Let's do it with a rock-solid confidence built on truth that is informed by a deep love. Both of which, by the way, come from God and from His Son, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And from a God who says, I am love. So our ministry flows from that 
direction. So, so, he, so here, that, that's nice and that, and that sounds good and we're sitting on padded seats and the air conditioning's on, but we're leaving. Um, go to an education class. You're here for another hour. Um, then we're leaving. We're gone to other various places. Um, how are we going to minister as a body that gathers, scatters, gathers, scatters, gathers, scatters? We've got to figure that out and we've got to figure it out together. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for calling us to service, for gifting us for ministry, for the shoulders that we stand on who have gone before us in the 59 years that Village Bible Church has been in operation. Lord, you have raised up um, hundreds of people to fill gaps, to start new ministries, to support, to, to, um, to reach out. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that. Uh, thank you for the example uh, this week, this weekend of another opportunity. Thank you for the 23 who were able to go to Rancho Santa Marta and help with the work that's going on there to help disabled kids and, um, and orphans and those who, who do not have much of a chance in life. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities this morning. We thank you for those that ministered to us um, by getting here early, by practicing the worship songs, by getting the coffee ready, by making sure that things were ready to go. Thank you for the teachers who've studied for their lessons that they're going to teach today. Lord, thank you for those in the nursery who are watching our little ones so that we can try to focus. <laughs> Lord, thank you um, for all that goes on here at Village Bible Church. We pray that ministry would be the calling of every Christian here at Village and that we would do so um, for the maturity, the growth, of this local congregation. God bless us as we pursue you in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.